been with us um, much over the year or over the years, um, our, our kind of typical pattern is that we are working through a, a book of scripture. Um, so we most recently, um, two weeks ago, finished the, the letter to the church in Philippi. Um, and next week, we're going to begin um, a new book. We'll be going back to the Old Testament and doing First Samuel. Um, but last week and this week, we're taking just kind of a two-week quick break from that um, to look at two things. And, and here's why we're doing this. Um, Paul last week um, walked us through kind of a biblical view on community and why it's important, why it's necessary, um, why it's not a, um, a, a tack on, but it's a, a necessary component of a believer's life. And so kind of where this series um, came from was as we were going through the COVID shutdown back in the spring and watching people respond and, and struggle or, or thrive, we just kind of looked for some commonalities. Um, and, and this was within our church, it's within the area, and it's also just across the nation, some of the things we saw was, well, if all of a sudden community is removed from you, it's going to be really hard to create community when you can't leave your house. And so we wanted to just, again, remind ourselves, um, we don't always know when something is coming that is going to remove us from our normal rhythm. And so we want to be building community all along, um, that it is a necessary component of our, of our spiritual development. Um, and this, this morning, we're going to look at the idea of spiritual disciplines, because the, um, the other one was, are we able to, to feed ourselves? Are we able to feed those in our home? Um, spiritually, right? Not just with physical um, provision, but are we able to provide spiritually when some of the things that maybe we have leaned on, being able to attend services, go to gospel communities, have student ministries, have children's classes, if those things are gone, um, how does it affect us? And so maybe maybe here's how we can consider this, why, why we felt the need to do this. Um, if you've ever been out driving, and got a flat tire on the highway, right? Where you're not in town, you're off and away. And you have this flat tire, and you get out, and you realize you've got a spare that's got air in it, right? And you've got a jack, and you have all your necessary tools. It is an inconvenience, and you are quickly back on the road and ready to go, right? It happens, couldn't avoid it happening, and you're back on the road. It's just a blip in your day. But in that same situation, if you're out on the highway, um, and you don't have a spare, or your spare is flat, or you don't have a jack, or you don't have the proper tools, um, right? All of a sudden, listen, you're going to get through it. You're going to survive it. But all of a sudden, it becomes a much bigger deal, right? As you are trying to call to get someone there, if the weather's bad, maybe you're waiting an inordinate amount of time, maybe you're struggling and having um, things break on you. Listen, you're, you're going to survive the lack of having been prepared, but it's a lot more difficult of a process. And I think if we look back to the spring, some of our marriages thrived, right? And others didn't because all of a sudden busyness was taken away and you realized there were some cracks, right? Or maybe your spiritual rhythms, you did not realize how dependent they were upon larger group meetings. And yet alone, you were going to struggle in that regard. Maybe you would have said, hey, I had people around me, but I realized I didn't have community. I didn't have this depth of relationship. And so that's really kind of where this was, was birthed out of. Um, that our job as the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
right? It's not to do all of the work. It's to equip us to all to be able to do the work of ministry. And in John 14, there's this scene where it's, it's, it's close to the crucifixion. And Jesus is with the disciples. And as he's visiting with them, they are anxious and they are fearful and they're worried. They can tell something's going on. And they just haven't quite grasped all of what Jesus has been telling them for three plus years. And he looks at them and he begins to tell them, listen, it's, it's going to be okay. And he begins to promise them some things. He's like, I'm, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then he tells them, listen, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to be with you. Then he tells them, listen, you're going to have prayer. Like, whatever you need, you, you ask it. Right? Because I'm going, to, I'm going to be alive. You're going to be able to, to pray to me. And he is giving them these things, these spiritual disciplines, right? To be able to make it through the trials and tribulation of this world until the day where we are reunited bodily with Jesus forever. Right, That when he rescues us, he sets us on a trajectory. He doesn't immediately take us to heaven. But there's this process of sanctification. And that he has given us some things right, to help us know him, to pursue him. Um, some people call them spiritual disciplines. Others would call them gifts of grace, right? Because it's, it's grace that we get to know him. And listen, we can make a list this morning of all the different spiritual disciplines, right? As you start to think through journaling or memorizing scripture or fasting, things of this nature. But really, the only two I want us to, to kind of lean into this morning are the two um, that you probably are most familiar with. And yet, we would, if, if we're honest, we still struggle with them as much as we know um, that we should do them. Um, that we don't want to take these gifts of grace, these spiritual disciplines for granted that God has given us a way to know him, to connect with him, to pursue him. And the first is this, it's, it's he's given us his word, right? And I think this morning it would be easy to go, okay, Jeremy, listen, like this is as basic as it gets. What are we doing? But then we would not take it for granted. This is Hebrews 4 verse 12. Would we just be reminded of this of scripture? For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Right? That God's word is alive. And because it's alive, right, we could have started Philippians right back over after we finished. And, and its word would have continued to minister to us and to press us. And we would have seen new things. And if you've been a student of Scripture for any time at all, you have gone and read a passage. You're like, how did I never see that before? Right? Like the God's Word, it's able to pierce us, to, to draw things out in us, to be able to reveal sin in us. It highlights these things. It draws out um, confession when we see that we're not walking in accordance to the Word of God. It reveals the character of God so that we know Him more correctly and more accurately. It confronts us. It feeds us. It speaks to us. This is 2 Timothy three, sixteen and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? Listen, so if, if we believe this, that Scripture is God-breathed, and it's alive, 
then what a gift of grace, right? Maybe the word discipline throws us off, right? Because it's this idea of having to work through something, but it is a gift of grace that God has said, I want you to know me. I want you to know who I am and what I'm like. I want you to know how I've worked in history, right? So yeah, I've sent Jesus to be the word, but I'm also going to leave you my word so that you can have this clear and accurate picture and and the spirit that I've left for you is going to illuminate it. It's going to give you understanding. And so church, how how insane is it if, if we would go, hey, I love Jesus. I just don't have a lot of time for his word, right? When it's a gift of grace to know him more clearly. The second is this, is, is it's prayer, right? That he hasn't just given us his word, but he's given us his ear, right? That he has told us, listen, I want you to come to me. You have access to me. I want you to ask things of me. I want you to be persistent in it, to know that I want to speak and I want to answer and I want you to, to, to know me back in Hebrews 4. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, Jesus has obtained access to the throne room of grace for us, that he lived the life that you and I were meant to live in perfect submission, obedience to the law and to the God, the Father. And then on your behalf, he takes the wrath of God, the punishment of God, and is killed so that you don't have to be. Right? So that you don't have to fear the flood of God's wrath. And then, thanks Kevin. And then he defeated sin and Satan and death and is alive today. Right? To hear our prayers, to send the Spirit, to minister to us. Right? That when we pray, it's not just like something going on in your head. It's not just for those who are listening. It's not just bouncing off the ceiling. It is being received by the King who is sitting in the right hand of God the Father, who is interceding on our behalf. And it says, Come into the throne room. Come bring your needs and your desires and your hurts and your fears. You have the ear of a good father who loves you. And so often I think we find scripture and prayer. We're like, yeah, 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 I got it. And yet they are gifts of grace by the creator of the universe. And, and indifference and flippancy to them is not marked by a a correct understanding of the bigness and the beauty and the worth of God. And yet, because we live in a broken and fallen world, we often, and many of us today, would walk in and say, yeah, I, I know I shouldn't say it, but I feel a little indifferent to it. Or maybe I feel a little bored by it. Or maybe I just feel like I don't need it until I need it. Right? And so like we kind of just do our thing and then when something goes awry in our life, we're like, oh, where's the verse about that? And instead, what, what our hope was is we looked at community last week as we're looking kind of at spiritual disciplines this week. Is Would we just get in a rhythm where we are walking with God and his people regularly and faithfully? So when the flat goes out in life, right? 
then it is a blip on the radar because we are connected where we need to be connected. And it is not an all hands on deck. We're going to sit on the side of the highway for four hours. We're going to break the jack because our flat... Like, it doesn't have to become this big, horrible thing because God is faithfully walking with us all along. The motivation... <clears throat> in which you approach prayer and scripture is going to matter a ton, right? Like, is it this thing that you do so that you feel spiritual and righteous, right? That you feel religious, that if someone asks, I can say. If not, I can even drop it into conversation so that you know how holy I am, right? Or is the motivation, I get to know Jesus. I get to enjoy him. I get to treasure him. I want more of him. So listen, this morning we could have a couple people run by Redeemer. And right, and one of them's running, and they are loving every second of it. But they're sweating, and they look like they're in agony, and it looks miserable, and you're going, Man, I would hate to be you right now. Right? And they're actually going, This is awesome. Like I I love to run. I don't understand that, but I've heard people say that. You could see someone else that looks like they're in agony, sweating, horrible, can't wait for it to be over. And they're actually out there just cussing the whole time, going, this is so, you know, like just stupid. But if you were just to watch them run down the block, you would not be able to tell the difference in physical action from the one who's enjoying it and the one who isn't. Because for both, it's, they're showing some discipline. It, it looks like work. And it's costing them something. But the motivation behind it changes it entirely. And so are we approaching the throne room of grace? Are we approaching scripture in order to get it done, to get it checked, to not feel guilty, to feel religious, right? To think that maybe God owes us and is more likely to answer our prayer. Or do we approach it going, I just want you. I just need you. I want to know you and treasure you and enjoy you. Church, we need it. You need it for yourself. Right? To be satisfied in Christ. You need it because we call you to live on mission weekly, daily, right? To be knowing your neighbors and to be knowing those around you. You need it, right? Like people don't need our West Texas mama wisdom, right? They need the word of God. They need the truth of God's character and they need his promises. And the only way we know it is because we know him and we've come to him. We need it to show grace to one another, we need it for evangelism, right? We need it to navigate a culture that has gone insane, right? To figure out, like, how does a Christian walk in the midst of all the darkness and despair and hate and vitriol? We need it to have a correct and a healthy view of God's character. We need it because we want to be a church that plants churches. And if we were going to plant churches, we want them to have a healthy view of the gospel, of a correct view of God's character, right? So that it's passed on because church this morning, you are recipients of people faithfully pointing us to Jesus and the truth of his character for 2,000 years, generation after generation after generation, right? That this wasn't a bad game of telephone where our view of God has been so wrecked that it doesn't even look like Scripture because we have an anchor in Christ and He's given us His Word that is God-breathed. 
Right? We, we need this. This isn't simply when things go awry, I want a coffee mug verse. This is, I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be transformed by him. I want to be discipled by him. I want to know him because he is worth it and he is everything. And so we can say, yeah, 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 Bible reading and prayer. And yet it is connected to the Lord of Lords. And so this morning, um, we're going to focus in on just one element of what this could look like in one kind of area of life. And here's the thing, though, is we think through evangelism and mission and all these different aspects of where we need prayer, where we need the scriptures, we need Jesus, is you can't give what you don't have, right? And you cannot well it up in the moment if you don't have it. But, but church, if you're walking with Jesus, right, he is faithful, right, and merciful and just to meet you exactly where you're at. He's going to, the Spirit is going to encourage and comfort you with His Word, with His character. And so this morning, we're going to focus in, and this is where the rest of the sermon will be, on what it looks like um, to, to be a church that has family worship. Okay? Um, listen, this is for couples. It's not just for those that have children. Um, it's for folks that have roommates. Um, we know that Scripture tells us that He places those um, who are single in the families, right? Like that He spiritually does that. Um, in Yemen, one of the things we saw overseas often where families were like, hey, we know how to read the Scriptures. We know how to pray for those who are believers. But like, we don't know what it looks like to like to be a good, godly husband or dad or wife, right? We don't know how to relate to a sibling. We need to see some of this stuff modeled. And for some of you who are going, okay, family worship, I can check out here because my kids are grown or this isn't an issue for me or I don't have kids. Like, listen, you've been brought into a family. Like, we are a family. And as we see moms and dads on Sunday mornings, right, struggling with like squirmy little ones, like, I've got multiple of those, right? Like that you're encouraging them, that you're praying for them, that you're telling them how glad you are that they're here knowing that it was a fight to get here and it would be way easier to stay home, right? That we're not put out by dancing feet and um, cars being driven all over the floor, right? Then we're going, no, 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 this is, this is right and it's good. That you might even draw families in that you can model what it looks like, right? That they're in your home seeing an older godly couple living out um, the, their faith. This is a way for us, right, to have people minister support and encouragement to grandchildren, even if you're not raising them. So this isn't just for those with young children at home. It's for all of us. And I think when, um, maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but when I hear the word family worship, um, there, I think often there's just like panic. Because you're like, oh crap, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not doing any family worship. And so you feel guilt or condemnation. Or maybe your question is, I don't even know what it is, to be honest. Um, maybe you feel inadequate right? Maybe, maybe you think, man, I got to pull off a service in my home. I can't do that. That's too long, right? Like there's just these misconceptions about it. And so this morning, 
Listen, there is not a passage that just absolutely commands, thou shalt have family worship, right? Like you're not going to find that passage. But here's what we know, that our children and us, we are being discipled. Everyone is being discipled all the time. Because a disciple means um, a learner, a follower of something, right? And so what, whether it's Jesus or not, we are being discipled. Other adults are being discipled. Our kids are being discipled to follow something. It is happening. They are learning a way to think and a worldview to have. Right? And in Matthew 28, we see the Great Commission where it says, like, you're going to go and you're going to tell people what Jesus did and you're going to baptize and you're going to make disciples. Right? Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. Paul often in his letters tells the church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In Ephesians um, 6, 4, we see this charge to parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? That we are to intentionally bring up those younger than us, um, whether that is um, biological age or or spiritually in the faith, towards Jesus. Like we're supposed to have a plan and an intent that they would see and know Jesus. Right? They're going to follow something. And Ephesians 2 would say that we have an enemy, right? And that before we know Jesus, we are following the course of this world who is set by Satan. That we are dead in our sins. We are the enemies of God. And we are doing what pleases us, not what pleases God. That is the course that we are on until the grace of God rescues us. And then we're on a different course, right? But we still live in a world that is marked and stained by sin. And so there's this temptation, right? Sometimes to leave following Jesus, to follow the course of this world. It doesn't just happen intuitively, right? Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean that others will love him. If nothing is ever shared or talked about or discipled or encouraged. And so I want this morning to give just a little bit different vision of what this can look like. Right, that we would have a trajectory and we would believe that there's a process that's going on here. Listen, this is from Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right, this big, beautiful truth. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your houses. And on your gates. Right? He's saying, listen. Hey, adults. Like, I want you to just talk about God. And who He is. And what His character is like. Often, all the time, right? That it just becomes a part of like when we're up in the morning, when we're going to bed at night, and when we're going through our day, and when we're walking, like it's just, it just marks us as who we are. That we are pointing people to Jesus. We're pointing them to know God. There's an aspect of this where we become spiritual farmers, 
right? That the farmer plants the, the seed in the soil. And then he trusts, right, that the, the, the process is going to take place and that a harvest will come. And he goes to sleep well knowing he has done the only part he can play in it. So do we begin to plant seeds in our children? Do we plant them in unbelieving friends? Do we plant them in unbelieving neighbors or family members, right? Trusting that God is going to bring about a harvest, doesn't always happen overnight, but it happens over time as we water that soil, as we pray for that, as we continue to share, as we continue to involve ourselves in lives, that we have this trajectory ahead of us that we're going, I want them to know Jesus. And not just because I do, right? Not just because they're mimicking me, but because they have him themselves. They've been rescued by him themselves. Um, Before I planted... Redeemer, I was a student minister, and it was a really common thing that I would have parents show up roughly this time of year, their kid's senior year. And they would show up and say, hey, um, I haven't really discipled my kid for about 17 years, but hey, this year, it's on you, man. So if they're going to love Jesus in college, man, good luck. And I'm like, hey, like I can I, in, in one year as a student pastor, I cannot undo what hasn't been done in 17 years. Now, listen, God is gracious, and he may very likely save and, and grow, but like, like it's, it's not on others, right? We get to play a role. You get to have other, other people speak into it. But are we, do we have a plan? Do we have a trajectory, a vision for our children and the children of the church Right? Those who maybe are spiritual orphans because they don't have believing parents at home, right? That they would get to know and be discipled and walk in Jesus. And so, what are the particulars of this? It's not complicated. So, that you're reading the Bible together, that you're praying together, and, and very likely maybe you're singing a little bit together. Now, listen, you don't have to sing good, right? Like you sing in the car anyway, right? Like whether it's good or not. And so it's, 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 it's bringing your family in and saying, hey, we value this. And so regularly, we're going to get together. And you're going to find a rhythm that works for your family. I'm not going to lay that rhythm out tonight or this morning. Um, I'm not preaching until tonight. Um, we're not going to lay that out, right? Um, because it needs to be flexible for your family. Honestly, it probably doesn't need to be super long, but it needs to be some regular rhythm because otherwise, if things aren't on our schedule or calendar, they just don't happen, right? And we're asking some questions, right? Like, so here's the goal of this is that we want, um, whether it's a roommate, a friend, our children, asking questions like, okay, so who is God? Like all that that entails, character, attributes, all of that. Okay, who am I? Like, what, where's my role in this story? So how do I live? Right? Great question. And we know that we don't want to simply pass on book knowledge. Right? There's no test here. We want them to see us living out our faith. We want them to see us can, um, doing the things that we're telling them that God has called us to. We want them being able to connect and for us to help them connect the truths of Scripture to the realities of life. To see where there's something positive happening or something negative happening. 
we want to see them living out the truths of the gospel and say it. Like, yeah, that's it. That's, that's what it looks like. We want our light to shine, right? Because we have Jesus in us, right? And here's the ultimate thing. We want their hearts, not just their behavior. Now, listen, sometimes I think we can use family worship um, or devotions as a means of like arresting their behavior so they'll just be what we want them to be. But ultimately, we know that's a loss, Right? That deep down what we want is their hearts, that they would long for Jesus themselves, because that's where transformation actually comes from. So, yes, it's going to be facts and information, but it's also them seeing this lived out. So, there are some challenges to this. It's going to cost you something, because you're, you're going to say, We're not going to do something else. There's a show we're not going to watch, there's an activity we're not going to sign up for, right? We're going to have to think about our schedule in order to make this happen. It is going to cost us something. Maybe you don't eat meals together a ton, and so now you have to change your schedule up a little bit. Um, maybe your kids are spread out, and so you're worried about that, or there's awkwardness. Your kid says, I don't want to do it. There are all sorts of things your kids don't want to do that you tell them to do, because it's good for them. Maybe you think they're, they're squirmy, or they're not going to listen, and it's, it, it's, it's okay. Um, and let's just be honest right now. That if Redeemer becomes a place where people are raising their kids to know and love Jesus at an early age, it's going to create some difficulty because they're going to be countercultural. And they're not going to be the most popular kids, right? Because they're going to have some strong values and beliefs about things. They're going to come in opposition to what the world is saying, right? And so who is going to disciple them? Our culture or us? So as you think through those challenges, don't let those challenges stop you from addressing this or beginning. But church, we have to give grace. We have to give grace to them. Listen to this. This is from Psalm 103, uh, beginning of verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Right? This psalm is saying, hey, God understands that we're, we're not him. He understands that we're dust. And, and so he's compassionate and he's understanding with this. If you're going to begin to walk, <coughs> especially your children, through some sort of family devotion, man, understand their kids. Right? They're going to squirm. They're going to dance. They're going to ask dumb questions. They're going to say stuff that's completely unrelated, right? Like we're not expecting this to be a little seminary class. Um, Honestly, it's why we do some of the things we do here on Sunday mornings, right? It's why the kids stay in for the first couple songs, right? Knowing it would be easier if they weren't. It would be quieter. Parents could relax a little bit. There wouldn't be squirming and dancing and noise. But this is really important, It's why for our elementary kids that they're over in a class every other week. We want them knowing this is where you ultimately are going to belong. Right? This, right, in this this menagerie of ages and life stages and education and social economic, this is where we belong. And so we want you to have this, this thing so that you can grow and ask questions and learn and have a safe place. But that this is for you too. 
It's the culture that we're trying to develop in gospel communities, right? That we want to give grace. It is a safe place to ask questions that might be quite honestly dumb. And you're not going to be laughed at. Right? Because it's a real question. And we want that for our adults at Redeemer. We want that for our kids, right? That there is a safe place to doubt, to not know, to ask questions, to express concern, to have real conversation. This isn't just, right, like, believe what I tell you to believe. It is this back and forth, this ebb and flow of what you would have longed and hoped for as you were coming to know Christ, as you were beginning to walk into faith, that we would give them grace in a safe place. And in all reality, a lot of what this is going to look like is them, you getting to apologize, right? You getting to confess sin as well. It's going to look like um, them seeing you tired and weary, Maybe getting called on scripture of, hey, dad, why are you not living that out? Remember we talked about that last night? Right? Super fun stuff in that regard. <laughs> right? Um, but the beauty is, is you get to say, I don't know. There are going to be questions that you're going to say, I don't know, but let's find it together. Right? That they, they can see that you don't have all the answers, but that we seek wisdom and we know where to go to find those answers. That it would push us to pray That it would push us to read scripture, right? It gives us a different kind of motivation when it's not just for ourselves. And lastly, this, right? As you think about doing this in your family, as you think about encouraging someone's family, as you think about inviting someone in to do this, that you would give grace to yourself. There is no perfect plan. And if you're waiting on it, you'll never start, right? The goal of what we're doing is because you are piling, um, I think Matt Chandler, we've, we've used this illustration before. He just says, you're piling kindling around an unbeliever's heart. So whether that's a child or a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, a roommate, you're piling kindling around with truths of God's character, truths of who he is, of them seeing your faithfulness and obedience and trusting Jesus. That when the Holy Spirit sparks and ignites salvation, Right? There's something to burn and that fire roars big and loud early. Right? Because there's something for it to grab hold of and to burn. Listen, so much of this is so simple. It's reading the Bible together. It's praying together. It's pointing one another to Jesus. Right? It is not rocket science. And you might think it's too simple. But here's the thing. God is alive. Because he's alive, his word is alive. And because he's alive and his word is alive and he has given us access to him, he is going to do what only he can do. The salvation of your child is not in your hand, it's in God's. And we can trust him with it. Um, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, author, was asked one time, hey, you have all these godly kids, what happened? Like, what did you do? He's like, whoa, I, I got to stop you right there. He's like, I do have godly kids by the grace of God. I have other pastors and other friends who, he said, did a better job raising their kids than I did. I'll just be honest. That have wayward children. He's like, all I can tell you is that God did not ask me to carry that burden. Right? He's like, I, I, there's no magic mark to this. He's like, I just have a different burden to carry. Right, a different area of my life where I'm going to see God's faithfulness. Church, would you would you trust Him 
with your roommates, with your, with your spouses, with your relatives, with your neighbors, right? We have um, kids in our, in our home all the time from our neighborhood who are going to get to hear bits and pieces of the gospel, and it may be one of the only places where that's happening, right? That we just trust God that he is working and rescuing people. And then it is not based on your ability or your effort in this, but that we can pile kindling around their hearts. The goal of this is for them to know, whoever it is, whether it's kids, us, friends, relatives, neighbors, to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus because he is worthy of their worship. One, um, one last example. Um, so you'll, you'll recognize this name if no other reason than the airport in Amarillo, but Rick Husbands was uh, an astronaut who was killed in 2003 in a shuttle um, explosion. Um, I did not know this about um, Rick until recently, but he had a couple kids. Um, he was real big on family worship, wanting his children to know Jesus. And so they were going to be gone. It was either 16 or 18 days. And what he did was he filmed for each of his kids um, the family devotions that were for each of those days. He just went ahead and did them all and left them for his kids where he was talking through a passage, reading something together, just said, I want you to know that even when I'm in space, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, I love you, and I want you to know Jesus. Right? Like how, how special are those videos now? Right? Like to this indelible marker of like, yeah, dad was an astronaut, but the thing that dad really wanted us to know was Jesus. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about his kids at this point. I don't, I don't know... Um, where they are in the faith. But church that, that, that Rick didn't, he didn't do that as a means of like gaining glory. Like had the explosion not happened, no one would even know that it ever occurred. Right? But it was just faithfulness until the flat tire happens. And then in the flat tire, there was something to grab onto. And so we want to be a people, a family, little families that make up a big family where we are encouraging and supporting and pointing people to Jesus, expecting Him to do what only He can do, and to know that the the God of Scripture will show up in your living rooms with squirrely three-year-olds, right? And so there are all sorts of resources out there. If you need something, if you have no clue where to start, please ask. Like We are glad to help you in whatever way we can. Um, as a gift from us this morning at Redeemer, um, on the table by the front door, there's a book um, on family worship. It is yours. Uh, if you take one for your family, um, if you need additional resources, please let us know. Um, man, what, what could we have as a church a vision of what it will look like in these years where all these three and four and five-year-olds like, just love Jesus at an early age, right? That are countercultural. Like how cool and, and God-honoring that would be. Um, listen, the, I'm going to pray for us. The band is going to come back up. Um, as they do, we're going to sing um, three songs this morning. If you need someone to talk to, to pray with, there'll be folks in the back of the room. Um, the Lord's Supper is set out. It's in four different locations. Feel free at any point during those songs to go as an as a, as individual, as a family, to grab someone. Um, the Lord suffers for believers. It's for those who have trusted that Jesus' um, crucifixion, his life, and his resurrection are sufficient for your salvation. There's nothing you can add to it. 
His body was broken so yours doesn't have to be. His blood was spilt so that yours doesn't have to be. And you can know him this morning. So that you would take time to confess sin, to thank him. Um, You can stand and worship. You can sit and worship. We just want to hear from the Lord and know that he can speak on Sunday mornings just like he can in your home, at the dinner table, with an eight-minute devotion with your kids. Right? Like we're asking him to work in all these ways for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we often don't have a plan, and because we don't have a plan, um, we don't pursue you in your in your word or in prayer. We don't lead out intentionally. So, Father, this morning, would we just, if we need to confess our feelings of inadequacy, would we do it and then know that in our weakness that you are strong? God, if we um, have valued other things more um, than you and assume that the gospel will just get added in somewhere, God, would we repent of that? God, to know that there is nothing more important than you. God, thank you that you'll meet us, um, that we don't have to have all the answers, that we don't have to have a slick production, um, that, that your word and your spirit are sufficient for us. God, thank you that we're going to get to see um, children and friends and neighbors and coworkers and adults and adult children and all the, like, come to faith. And we just get to celebrate the miracle of salvation through the means of grace that you have given in your word and in prayer. Father, would we be a people who would encourage others, God, to, to, to stand strong and to trust the process. Father, would we today have a conversation with those in our home as to what this looks like? Would we ask um, you to give us wisdom to make a plan that we would not look up um, six weeks down the road and realize we haven't ever implemented anything for ourselves or for anyone else? Father, would you speak? Your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen.